This is a humble man recording. Scano, Sego, Ani, you're listening to the Red Road Podcast with Courtney Skye and Hayden King. Good morning, Courtney. Good morning, Hayden. It's a rainy morning on the QEW this morning. Mm-hmm. We've had some snow lately. Uh, three snow days for my kids in the past week. Wow. Yeah, Hamilton School Board is not uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> resilient. No, they, uh, to be fair, it was pretty terrible. It was pretty, like, we had a lot of ice. Is that um, right? You had ice? Yeah, there was ice. There was, like, layers of ice everywhere. Um, I posted a picture of it, I think, on Twitter or whatever, Instagram stories. There was, like, an inch of ice on our trees. Well, not an inch, maybe, like, at least a coating of ice on our trees at our house. And where I live on a dirt road on the res, like, our road's just like a skating rink. It's just, there's no, there's no saving it until spring, I guess, at this point. So they should have canceled school, is you're saying? Um, I think school should have been canceled. They closed Ryerson. They, uh, there, yeah. was a, there was a snow day in Toronto, too. Yeah. Uh, the Toronto Dif- District School Board closed, which I hear never happens. They've had like three snow days in the past decade. So that was pretty, you know, a lot of our friends did it. Uh, the band office didn't close on my res. Wow. So the band office was open. Shocking. Uh, they were, you know, the only people that were working. There was a day where like they preemptively declared a snow day this week, which was... That's right, yeah. Uh, yeah. A bit interesting where people were like going to bed and they knew they didn't have to go to work the next day because of the impending snow. Like, the Chinese food restaurant on my res was like, we're not going to open tomorrow. <laughs> and sent out an email. You and, know it's bad. You know it's bad. Yeah. And then everyone was, everyone that works for council was like, and we still have to come in. This is great. At least no one else is on the roads, you know? Right. Well, it's not snowing or uh, there's no ice fog today. It's it's raining in, uh, mm-hmm. in late February. You I weren't here when it was I snowing. wasn't here. I wasn't here. That's right. I, I escaped. I almost nearly completely escaped the four or five days of ice. Snowpocalypse? Met. Yes, snowpocalypse. Uh, I was in Mexico City. That's nice. But it did impact my travel plans. It took me 24 hours to get home from Mexico City because flights were delayed and so on. So got to yeah. have a lot of quality time in airports. Yes, yes. Yeah. Got to extend extend my stay in Mexico City a couple hours. Um, yeah, I just had a vacation. You so you just had a vacation too. Uh, yeah. So you had an actual vacation. I just took some time off work. <laughs> I used vacation days. Um, and I just basically stayed at home, had a bunch of long weekends, and caught up on my sewing. Um, I Some of the days that I had off for vacation coincided with the snow days for my nieces, so I got to spend time with them and that kind of thing. Didn't you actually go to work on some of your vacation days? Yes, I did work. I did uh, go into Toronto and do some work things on my vacation. Yes, I did that. You commuted when you didn't have to. Yeah, I think we we didn't even record then, but yeah, I did uh, 
I had grand plans to go to a work meeting that was uh, near Collingwood. And so I was like, listen, I have to travel for work the day before a meeting on my vacation day. I'm going to go up to Collingwood and go to a spa. And then snow days canceled my meeting. And so I didn't even get to go to the spa. But I did um, go to the Bata Shoe Museum, which was really interesting. They had all of these like very in-depth displays of all the different kinds of like eras and talking about, you know, the difference in shoe trends and, uh, you know, China and, uh, you know. So my vacation to Mexico City was very interesting. Yeah, oh, you're no, talking about shoes? No, like, oh, I was going to make fun of the Battery Museum. I was going to make one joke about the Battery Museum in the sense that, like, they had all of these, like, very interesting, like, cultural nuance of all these different cultures. And then they had, like, an indigenous display, which was an Inuit shoe and an Australian shoe. Like, these two different <laughs> shoes. And they're, like, indigenous. This is what indigenous footwear looks like. And I was like, this is bullshit. Because <laughs> they assume we're, we're barefoot all the time? Well, that they're the same thing, right? Like, there's like here, there's like here's two different provinces in China, and here's how their footwear dif- differs based on their class system, and then here's two completely different indigenous groups from different continents in different centuries, and those can be next to each other because right. so they're that, the same. So is anyway not? Uh, how do they not have beaded Nishnabek high top moccasins there? Oh, they did. It was on a okay. different floor, Fantastic. but yeah, those are the. the I, I, I have to say that Nishnabek have take the cake for style when it comes to footwear. Um, so that story ended up being a little bit more interesting than <laughs> it started out. Listen, uh, sorry you, to interrupt you. Yeah, there. I was you, falling asleep. Yeah, it's early in the morning, and you like to be a dick to me. So this is like, <laughs> I'm glad we have recorded evidence of it. Right. This is how I spend my mornings, just getting roasted in my own car. <laughs> um. Well, yeah. I, I, that, that doesn't happen that often. Right? <laughs> Once in a while. So I was in Mexico City, and uh, I was sort of a, a random trip. There was a bunch of friends that were going down to Mexico City, and and uh, I I have never been, and uh, decided to, to join, um, basically for a weekend, mm-hmm. weekend in Mexico City, and I, I uh, it's it's a it's a wild, overwhelming, um, very. Uh, wonderful, wonderful place. Um, mm-hmm. People are legit. The food is off the charts. Um, they are corn people. They are corn people. The Dinoshoni are also corn people. I very much love food from that area. Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of corn. I really really like that. Lots of carne. Mm-hmm. Um, went to see some pyramids. There was a, you know, I I sort of. When I teach introductory Indigenous studies, uh, when I'll often talk about contact, and talk a little bit about Columbus and a little bit about Cortez and and uh, the Aztecs and the Mexica, and it was just interesting to go and see those those places and those things in in real life and uh, hear the story from um, Mexican perspectives and Indigenous perspectives because so often it's like, you know, Herman Cortez marched into the heart of the Aztec Empire and sacked it with 300 men on horseback in eight hours. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you really learn about how Cortez had thousands of, thousands of men with him, indigenous men, an indigenous woman who helped uh, coordinate his campaign. They tried to defeat the Aztecs and were actually routed, just completely dismantled down to 23 men. 
um, made it back to the to the coast where Cortez burned his ships and gathered an even larger force, marched back into the heart of the Aztec Empire, and then, you know, he had left something behind, of course. Cortez has left his filthy germs behind, so by the time, after he had been defeated the first time and went back the second time, the city was nearly, you know, decimated from all the disease it had, had left, and that allowed uh, Cortez to, to be able to conquer the Aztecs, but uh, those sort of nuances in history are often overlooked, and, um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. It was just interesting to to go down and, and, and get those get some of those stories firsthand and see some of those places. Uh, it's powerful, you know. Yeah. Some solidarity there, I feel. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I guess I feel rested and relaxed. Mm -hmm. Back on the red road. Yeah. And while I was away. Lots of political developments here happening in Canada. So many things happening uh, politically. I probably you'll probably do a better overview of this than I would. But so Jody Wilson Raybould resigned. <clears throat> Jody Wilson Raybould resigned from cabinet. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, the, the story has a little bit of a longer gestation period. Is it's mm -hmm. the uh, uh, when Jody Wilson Raybould was demoted from. Justice, the Ministry of Justice and Attorney General to Veterans Affairs, people were obviously like, okay, something has happened here, what's going on? Mm -hmm. um, immediately you had these liberal insiders saying things like Jody was difficult to work with, she uh, uh, was always in it for herself, and, and, and so the narrative that was being peddled yeah. from inside the Liberal Party was that she was, yeah. uh, she was hard to work with and that's what led to her demotion. Yeah, and this is the thing that like kind of struck things for me because I think maybe I missed this as well. Like I think with this story, if you have blinked or taken you know twelve hours out of the news cycle, you've missed kind of all these major developments because things have been changing, you know, pretty rapidly over the past you know whatever week or week and a half it's been. So I didn't necessarily see these um, news articles. But I saw the statement from the UBCIC that said, like, that these sexist comments need to be quashed and that Justin Trudeau should come out and, you know, kind of speak firmly against this. And that's kind of the first um, piece of news and information that I saw that was like, oh, this is going to keep getting bigger because there are people that were, you know, whoever these unnamed people are that work within you know, these upper echelons of, you know, the PMO's office or senior bureaucrats, that they were starting to try and manufacture stereotypes or rumors and gossip about Jody Wilson-Raybould and impinging on her character, impinging on, you know, her attitude and how she is to work with. And that is something often that women experience in the workplace. And I think for a lot of women like myself and you know a lot of people online have kind of said like hey hey what's going on here something is something is happening that's not fair and since then uh, a number of people have come out in support of uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould and her credibility this is like a, kind of a, alongside some of the other sexist comments that Trudeau's been called out with before uh, when um, at AFN when Judy Wilson, Chief Judy Wilson was being uh, critical of 
reconciliation and the work Trudeau has done, he refused to call her chief. He just called her Judy. And in a very condescending tone, repeatedly just only called her Judy. And so this is the same thing he did to Jody Wilson-Raybould, is to just call her Jody and not um, say her title or any of that kind of thing, right? So there's kind of this, like, scratching the surface. You get to these tense situations, and you just hear all of, like, the underlying sexism coming out. Yeah. Uh, it's remarkable, actually, that this campaign has been going on for so long because I think the liberals, you know, we can't say that the liberals started it, but all these rumors started to emerge to explain the demotion. So basically from uh, the cabinet shuffle all the way into the present, we've had this campaign where Jody Wilson-Raybould has been cast as this um, aggressive, difficult to work with um, Indian woman. And that's pretty remarkable. Like, that's a long campaign uh, to wage against somebody. But when you're trying to hide something, I guess that's that's the go-to. But you're right about Trudeau's treatment of Indigenous women. Uh, because, yes, at the AFN Special Chiefs Assembly, it was, it was uh, his strategy to excuse Judy Wilson's, Chief Judy Wilson's concerns. It was this strategy to, to belittle her, to marginalize her, to excuse her concerns of those as someone who is not really serious or legitimate or credible, right? They're childlike. Um, that's what he did with Judy Wilson when, when she raised very legitimate concerns about free prior and informed consent and the Trans Mountain Pipeline. Now here you have, a couple months later, Jody Wilson-Raybould, who actually isn't even coming out and saying anything publicly, uh, at least at this point, but but certainly her silence speaks volumes about the pressure that the Prime Minister's office has put on her to drop or, or uh, negotiate a deal with, with SNC-Lavalin. Um, very same tactic, you know, Jody this, Jody that. And I think... Yeah, his like, I was disappointed, this is not what you told right. me, you know, all that kind of thing of like, you know, very... Um, what did he say? Uh, disappointed and, and surprised. Disappointed in her, surprised and disappointed in her. And I was like, it's like these kinds of complaints against women that, you know, especially the, the thing that, you know, we were both able to see and witness at AFN was that, you know, especially with Chief Judy Wilson, was raising legitimate concerns. She was talking about issues of policy. She was on point. She was being very critical. And then the retort that they that she got back was just, you know, this belittling comment and, you know, disrespectful behavior that didn't engage with any of the substance of the issues that she was raising. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, is the likely, you know, we've seen this behavior from him in public. I can't imagine how much more aggravating and bigger that would be in private for someone like that who is, lets those kinds of behaviors um, show publicly is to me, uh, you know, coming from a VAW perspective, there are people that have toxic behaviors that are so normalized and they're so part of like how they operate that you see it show. They don't know that they have, should not behave that way. So they just act that way in public. And so that to me is like, oh, it's probably, he probably does this even more severely in private. Yeah, maybe. I, I think what, what, maybe is surprising is how it's being bought by very few people. I, I mean, I don't know if this is your take, but just reading mainstream 
media uh, and the pundit class, it just seems very clear to me that these strategies are backfiring. That yeah. that people are calling out Trudeau as uh, as you know having these these toxic uh, uh, um, strategies of of effectively what what I think uh, uh, we can say are deeply problematic. Um, yeah, people think, are calling them out, right? Yeah. People are seeing them and calling them out. Now, I mean, I'm not just talking about you and I, but yeah. I'm talking about like, you know, Chantal Bear and and uh, mm-hmm. the the pundit class in in, yeah. in, in Canadian uh, politics. Yeah, there's been some really good, you know, uh, some critique of this because I think where, you know, where I would come from or we would come from talking about this like within a racialized element or within a background of political or indigenous policy is one perspective but there are definitely you know the people that engage in this that are you know the pundits and the people that watch Canadian politics they understand the dynamics of what this looks like within their own you know beliefs and frameworks or whatever they're doing right like like they know what it means for a prime minister to belittle a cabinet minister in this way they know what it means for an AG to change portfolios in in this sort of way right so they're they do have that familiarity with Taking the the power dynamics that are at play here from that political perspective, and they've been very sharp in making that connection because, as much as you know, you or I know have and have known Jody Wilson Rabel for a longer time from like in the indigenous perspective in that and that place, they know her only as the attorney general, right? Like they know that position, they know her work there, and as much as there's been a expectation of her to bring forth indigenous issues she still operated in a position that was for all canadians right she was the attorney general that is a very that is not a racialized position that is a position that is supposed to be neutral and touching on a lot of different issues right and she had garnered a lot of respect for doing things in a way that was just not looking out for indigenous issues i think might be you know the stuff around assisted dying and that kind of stuff right like she had a lot of other responsibilities besides just in the indigenous portfolio sure i think the her work on indigenous issues uh waned over time mm-hmm. initially was very much involved and then mm-hmm. as the as the liberal government uh mandate went on she was less and less involved but i but i think <clears throat> one of the reasons it's been difficult for Trudeau's strategies uh, of delegitimization or uh, obfuscation are failing is because Jody Wilson-Raybould has been so effective at fighting back, right? Mm-hmm. She wrote that letter um, <clears throat> uh, well, on the eve of her demotion, like a day before she was demoted, I think on the Friday night, and then she she got word of her demotion and um, by Monday the cabinet shuffle or Tuesday but she had she had written to uh, lawyers in the attorney general's office to say you know we have a new protocol for litigation against indigenous people um, <clears throat> and so there were signs that she was definitely resisting or wanting wanting at the least wanting to get things done mm-hmm. um, and then when she was you know demoted she didn't say say much but certainly uh, when uh, when the when the anonymous sources uh, leaked that the PMO was putting pressure on her, um, the Prime Minister came out and said, you know, Jody Wilson-Raybould is still in Cabinet, so 
that's a sign that she still supports us and nothing nothing has gone wrong here and then like within 24 hours she resigned from cabinet <laughs> yeah so I think that maybe uh, Trudeau and his team underestimated the uh, political acumen of Jody Wilson-Raybould mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, th- and that uh, and that's making it difficult for them mm-hmm. so uh Another part of this is the company that mm-hmm. um, SNC Lavalin, Lavalin that uh, that's this really the center of the scandal, I guess. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know what? Anything about them? Um, they make stuff. They get a lot of government contracts. That's what I've been able to glean from it. Yeah, they are entrenched into especially Quebecois culture, and that they um, have built some of the major landmarks in Quebec and, you know, take on these contracts and they have been, uh, I guess, prosecuted or charged with corruption and bribery in Libya. And so as a result of some of their, you know, this, the way that they've conducted business historically, they have, um, been blocked from, uh, getting World Bank contracts for 10 years there's been some pretty serious, you know, sanctions levied against them in other parts of the world. And so I think that people are looking to Canada to kind of say, how are you holding your these companies that are based in Canada uh, accountable, right? So I think that was, that's been my, my understanding of, you know, what's happening with that company. That there was new legislation um, introduced in Canada where companies who are charged with these, uh, you know, offenses that are, you know, criminal in nature, that the company, in order to kind of preserve itself, would be able to um, pay fines and maybe see themselves saved from, like, criminal prosecution or consequences that would see the company folding so that the workers of the company are not impacted. And snc Lavalin employs, what would they, what would they say, like 50,000 people worldwide. Uh, you know, about just over 3,000 people in Quebec. So that, that kind of, you know, organization necessarily, you know, the last week on the CBC were saying it's too big to fail kind of thing, right? So what kind of deals can government make with companies like that that see them continue on just because they employ too many people and the impact on the economy would be severe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, they're a dirty company. They're mm-hmm. a dirty company. Yeah, like they, mm-hmm. You look at the list of VPs and presidents and CEOs that have been charged with corruption over the past 10 years. It's basically like every senior manager in that company has had mm-hmm. to leave or has been charged for making bribes in Cambodia, mm-hmm. Libya, <clears throat> all around the all around the, the damn world. Along I, with that list of like corruption, you should also see how many political appointments those same people have received. Because <clears throat> a lot yeah, of they're know. very well I connected. Know. I, um, I know that at least one of the people that's involved in this current scandal was appointed as an advisor or something by Harper. Like they're a very well connected company. They've also been under investigation for um, illegal campaign donations to liberals. Hmm. Um, well, it seems like they they could get a meeting with any political figure they wanted at any time. They met with uh, the Liberals dozens of times, and the Conservatives as well. 
Uh, do you remember when that woman, Cindy Vanier, was in jail in Mexico? It was a white woman that was, you know, it, uh, she was charged with trying to smuggle uh, these Libyans across the Mexican oh, border. Yeah. And it was a big scandal in, in Canada, mostly mm-hmm. because because the Canadian media was like, we need to free this Cindy Vanier woman and get her home, this white woman that's mm-hmm. being held by Mexicans. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was actually working for SNC Lavalin mm-hmm. as part of, at least it seems, their deal with the Libyan government. So uh, that was a couple of years ago, but it seems mm-hmm. that the, the company is definitely has some, some <laughs> ongoing shady deals with, uh, mm-hmm. with Libya, although I guess uh, yeah. maybe less so today. So, yeah, I mean, it seems like the misstep of the liberal government was appointing, you know, an indigenous woman with any type of integrity to enforce the rule of law mm-hmm. as attorney general. Like, I think that's kind of like the read here or whatever is saying that, you know, that since this scandal has broke, uh, you know, long time colleagues of Jody Wilson-Raybould have come out to speak to her integrity, her work ethic, um, trying to combat these rumors that are coming out of the PMO's office about her. And, you know, she's a lawyer and, you know, this long history of being well-respected. And so it's kind of like, yeah, if you trust someone's reputation and integrity and then you see that kind of obvious corruption, a long history of corruption, those two are necessarily not going to work together, right? And I can see, like, the resulting of that being, you know, the undermining or destruction of that person in that position of power of being Jody Wilson-Raybould and saying, like, attack her in any way or try to discredit her and if that person happens to be racialized or a woman the attacks that are levied against them come in that way right come that kind of like lowest hanging fruit it's going to be sexism it's going to be racism etc i saw a lot of tweets that were like i can't wait for people to know what the liberals have been saying and putting jody wilson raybould through that a lot of insiders were like the things that I have heard about her are terrible. The things that they've done to her are, you know, very uh, difficult. And she's had to endure a lot. And it seems like she's doing that as well. You know, taking, being more reserved in her commentary or her, you know, what she's saying. And being cautious because of, you know, having to had to endure that, right? And I think that any person that's tried to operate with inside settler colonial politics or constructs has spoken to that difficulty of experiencing racism um, within that system and having to endure and kind of having to put like a threshold of like, or here's the kind of like, um, you know, even sometimes benevolent racism that you just have to tolerate on a near daily basis. Yeah, uh, for sure there's that. I mean, there's a couple things that we could talk about here. The, I think one of, the, one of them is uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould was a controversial figure, still is a controversial figure in, in the Indigenous community because, um, you know, she, she is a high-profile member of the, the Liberal team. And, mm-hmm. and um, in fact, her policy prescriptions for moving away from the Indian Act uh, were the foundation of the government's rights recognition 
an implementation framework mm -hmm. uh, legislation that ultimately didn't get passed. But I think a lot of her ideas have permeated uh, liberal policy on everything from land claims uh, and self-government <clears throat> through to um, service delivery. So for that reason, I think when the rights framework uh, started to roll out and, and we saw how limited the jurisdiction and self-determination for First Nations were, I think that a lot of people pointed to Jody Wilson-Raybould and said, hey, listen, this is, these are your ideas, why are you holding them up and why are you promoting them? But as I said earlier, interestingly, as the mandate went on, uh, she was less and less and less involved. Like, I don't know if you remember one of the marquee Trudeau promises to Native people was to create that cabinet committee on decolonizing mm -hmm. laws. Uh, she initially was um, a part of that committee and um, ultimately uh, uh, kicked off because presumably she wasn't agreeing with uh, the liberal approach to Indigenous issues. And she made numerous speeches, especially late in her tenure, being critical of uh, federal bureaucrats and, and um, an unwillingness to actually do the sort of transform transformative work that she may or may not have been doing. But yeah. I think all, that's all wrapped up in, in mm -hmm. whether, you know, she's, her, her, her path is, has been controversial, I think. Yeah. And, and I think that's kind of the thing that's been difficult for me to kind of wrap my head around is this kind of, you know, she's definitely a moderate, right? When you come to like, when you think of the people in their policy perspectives, that are operating within the indigenous context, there's a lot of different tactics that are utilized. A lot of people see movement and progress taking shape in a different way. And, you know, throughout her time as um, Minister of Justice, whatever, that people, I've heard a lot of criticisms of her, right? That she has a very moderate approach. Her, the methods that she used are, you know, working from the inside. And those pieces and so I never saw as a part of necessarily her policy perspectives being extremely radical right being extremely forward-thinking like she still has as an underpinning of a lot of her policies you know upholding the Constitution and the the way that the division of powers are and that kind of stuff right it's it's kind of been fitting um, indigenous people, First Nations people, you know, Aboriginal people, as according to the Constitution, within that way, and not necessarily the ways in which people see themselves, the way that I know people in communities, you know, might necessarily vision um, themselves in the future, that how people reconstruct themselves, how historically, you know, people have constructed their families outside of Indian status, that there's still kind of these underpinnings of like, you know, the entrenchment of the Indian registry and that kind of stuff or you know the push coming from MNC to you know create the Métis equivalent of that and you know those kinds of pieces have always been there so I don't I am a little stressed that like someone who on my perception has always been to be this kind of like compromised and, and midstream approach even her ideas are seen as too radical and needing to be contained. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that I think that her idea. I think you're right. I mm -hmm. mean, definitely, she's moderate on the indigenous politics spectrum, but she, in many ways, progressive because she does have these constructive ideas for how to move away from 
from uh, 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 deeply colonial uh, governance policies and laws, but at the same time, they don't go far enough, obviously, for people like you and me, and, and are entirely within the Canadian constitutional framework, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I think there's certainly strong arguments to make for expanded powers within the Canadian uh, Confederate uh, Canadian constitutional framework. Which was she? Which, which she was trying to make? But yeah, I think you're absolutely right. The, I think Trudeau probably saw uh, po the possibilities, and when mm -hmm. she continued to push and didn't bend, I, I mean, we're all spe we're speculating. I, we have no idea what ha what happened, but it did seem that there was a break uh, in what the Liberal government was willing to accommodate in mm -hmm. transformation of Indian policy, and it, it, it also appears. Jody Wilson-Raybould was standing somewhat mm -hmm. firm on, on a particular approach. Mm -hmm. and, and that she was very critical as well of the rhetoric that was coming out, right? That that's kind of been the piece of, that there's actual like in her, I guess vision is that there are actual substantive things that you can do systemically to alleviate the systemic discriminations that Indigenous people face and that there was just an unwillingness to do that within the federal government. Yeah, well, there was the justice reform. Mm -hmm. She did try to lead a uh, uh, community transformation along uh, along the lines of, of criminal law and, and justice, uh, mm -hmm. providing some space for communities to create um, potentially even tribal courts. You know, mm -hmm. I, I think that their jurisdiction again would be limited. But mm -hmm. um, and in that sense, I suppose it's it's uh, symbolic, but. Um, yeah, there were a handful of of, uh, of, of ideas and um, sort of half mm -hmm. half baked policy mm -hmm. plans that made it through uh, made it through her tenure. And mm -hmm. this is not really a rigorous accounting of her record, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, it is a Friday we, morning. <laughs> well, we <laughs> we started just talking about her. her you know, mm -hmm. before the scandal, a lot of people were critical. A lot of people, you know, were were. Mm -hmm. The type of misogyny and the type of um, uh, critiques that we began this podcast talking mm -hmm. about were also being leveled by Indigenous men towards Jody Wilson-Raybould before this scandal erupted. Oh, right? and, and, and since, too, and right? And since, sure, yeah. okay. Yeah. I haven't seen too much of it since, but... Perry Bellegarde? Ah, yes, 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 yes. yes. So, our... <sighs> Perry Bellegarde, that whatever the hell he is, um, called her, called this whole thing a distraction, uh, which is just the quintessential AFN branded misogyny. Like this is just completely in line with them, which is also as a side note, infuriating to me as someone who's like worked in indigenous feminist advancing that place and having to deal with the AFN over the past however many months that this is coming from the head of an organization that went to the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and tried to claim that they were a women's organization that they um, that because their organization was um, that has women staff working there that they have women that are directors that at the time their you know their head or whatever their what is it what do they call their chief bureaucrat their the chief operating officer or their executive director, they were a woman. And their lawyers for the AFN went to the National Inquiry and said, that, look at how many women we have working here. Um, we're also a women's organization. And 
Faye Blaney, who is from the West Coast, had an incisive critique, was just saying, like, AFN has a history of arguing against the advancement of rights of women, and it's like the band office. Women run the place, but they don't make the decisions. And you see this divide within the AFN structure of, you know, women that are operating things, you know, making these decisions, keeping the organization running. But then the people who hold the positions of power are men, primarily men, especially like elected bank holder chiefs, the majority of them are men. And they hold these like deeply problematic views of women, you know, uh, Sylvia McAdam has, you know, uh, talked about this, about how she, you know, when she was trying to seek leadership in her community, they told her, you know, wear a skirt and this is not a role for women. And it just seeks that, right? There, these are, this piece around corruption, the sexism that's coming from the PMO's office, like these are deeply important issues. And for that to be dismissed as a distraction is frankly disgusting. Um, again, Perry Belgard showing where his truly does this lie and it's not with indigenous women who are being brutalized and disrespected. <sighs> He's a, a complete disappointment. And also one of these like people that says garbage like they don't see color and all of that kind of stuff right he's shown once again that he's a trash human being well i don't know if there's much more to add uh to that <laughs> yeah I, I have no idea i mean i, I know that perry Bellegarde has some relatively smart advisors right now and and yet he is taking the liberal talking points which have been widely discredited in the media over the past few days and continuing to run with them. I mean, I don't know when the New York Times, this is in a New York Times story that Belgard is quoted as saying that Jody Wilson-Raybould is a distraction and they have hard work to do. Uh, but that's a liberal talking point. I mean, Ralph Goodale was on the CBC last night saying what? Saying that they have hard work to do and they want to move on on Indigenous issues. I mean, uh, the fact that Perry Belgard thought that that would be uh, a wise thing to say, or uh, a thing to say generally, defies um, logic or common sense, and I think has to, does speak to the points that you're making. Like it, 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 uh, it. You know, I, I, I don't know if there are words to describe the, the complete nonsensicality of it all. Well, I think that it's, it is. It is an affront. It is um, disrespectful, but it's also indicative of like people's true kind of allegiances, right? Because when she did, when Jody Wilson-Raybould did have this position of power, there were many people that were like talking about how proud they are of her, that wanted to use her in that position of power, and her, you know, her being indigenous to suit their own needs, right? And that. Harry Belgard would pose for any picture and do all these kinds of things while she had that position and utility to him. But when he was quoted and saying that it's a distraction for Kim, like Kim personally, that he has all this work to do, just speaks to this kind of like, in, also like an individualistic idea of, you know, policymaking, decision making that necessarily excludes people and excludes community, right? Like none of the, you know, the liberation of indigenous people does not rest on the shoulders of Perry Belgard. 
right? Like, he is probably the least influential person as far as I'm concerned. Like, with actual, you know, on-the-ground, grassroots decision-making, people disregard his opinion and his perspective on so many different things, and change that happens in community happens outside of his sphere of influence, primarily, like, in my experience. So, for him to also take put himself in that position of like oh he needs to be unfettered in his work like what does he do besides like you know deliver speaking points that his organization has prepared for him that are deeply influenced by the government of the day mm-hmm. well it was it you know that's a good point because uh Belgard goes out of his way to say that he's just a spokesperson that he doesn't make any decisions that the executive is not the uh having negotiations with the with with cabinet but rather they're bringing the concerns of all chiefs to the table. Um, but when you, of course, use the first person <clears throat> um, and say, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I have mm-hmm. important work to do, then you then you sort of contradict mm-hmm. all that, uh, mm-hmm. all those efforts you've been made, you've you've done to you undermine yourself. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think that you know Perry Belgard has to be the only only Indian in the country that's not supporting Jody Wilson-Raybould right now. I think that we have lots to disagree with uh, around um, Wilson-Raybould's politics and and policy, but I think by and large we're all pretty much lining up behind her and saying, you know, what the Mm -hmm. Prime Minister is doing is indicative of of, uh, his Indigenous relations and we support her. Um, so that's just more, uh, that's just, 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 uh, just again, another indication of how out of touch the AFN is. Yeah. And I think that's been, I think the most heartening thing too, is that like, you know, for a, for a figure, you know, like Jody Wilson-Raybould who has been critiqued by her own communities or by other indigenous communities and, and by people about, you know, the work that she's doing that that is separate from the person, right? The work is separate from the person and you should be able, we should all be able to engage in meaningful discussions around, you know, the merits or the tactics that are being used to advance liberation, but it doesn't, it's disappointing that it's devolved into kind of this, like this, you know, these sexist and and dismissive and rude talking points, right? Like I... Yeah, that's the, that's the thing, right? Like, it's. Like, I mean, this we, might be a conversation yeah. for another podcast because I'm not necessarily sure you can disconnect the person's personal right. life from their yeah. professional life. I think that's that that's, uh, you know, you sort mm-hmm. of got to live your live your politics um, and be held accountable for them. Yeah, I, I think, as I just returned from my <laughs> sunny yes. vacation in Mexico. Yeah, well, I think, and I think that's different because I think people's lived experience necessarily does inform their politics but I think that like you know someone's gender identity someone's uh you know sexuality those things do not shouldn't become wrapped up into the the way that you critique their policy and their work right right no yeah Yeah. of course yeah 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 yeah, absolutely um well this uh I would call this a scandal this is a a a scandal uh I think it's probably the biggest scandal since the prime minister's trip to India remember that oh god yeah. Uh, probably bigger than that. Uh, um, so what do you think is going to happen next? Judy Wilson, when he yeah. called Judy, well, Judy Wilson, Judy, that was a big yeah. scandal. Uh, I don't know. This is for, it's Friday. It's we're going into a weekend. Um, oh, there's going to be such... We should say this. This is Friday morning that we're recording this. We are missing whatever news drops tonight. So maybe our... You think the news is going to oh, drop tonight? Fr- 
anyone who listens to or follows politics <laughs> knows Friday night is the night to like right. see what the press releases are saying and all that kind of stuff because it's a tactic that's used to release information on a Friday night that you hope people will disregard over the weekend yes. right it's a way yes. to kind of like cleanse the palate or it's kind of drop the, bad it's news the, it's the end of a news cycle yeah. as well so this yeah. we'll see if Monday morning this is still an issue I, I suspect yeah. it's going to continue to be an issue until Judy Jody Wilson-Raybould says something uh, about all of this and um, maybe there'll be some more leaks. Do you think they're going to let her speak at the committee? Uh, Probably not unless Mm -hmm. the pressure really mounts on those Mm -hmm. individual MPs Mm -hmm. um, who sit on the committee, the liberals that sit on that committee. You should tweet them. You should tweet at them. Yeah, Mm you should tweet at them. I mean, this is, it's, it's, what, basically, what, what underwrites all of this is, is a corrupt federal government, right? It's a corrupt mm-hmm. liberal party. This is a, a liberal government that if, if, if all the assumptions that are, we're making end up being true, you know, they're, they're mm-hmm. applying so mm-hmm. much for the rule of law that Trudeau keeps talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Applying pressure on a cabinet mm-hmm. minister to, to mm-hmm. uh, drop the charges against a, a Canadian company. Like, that's yeah. kind of corrupt. Mm-hmm. And, like, the... I don't know, like... Hopefully all of our listeners are up on Twitter, but some of the hot takes and some of the jokes on Twitter have just been phenomenal around some of these pieces, right? Or And getting some of that, I guess, wit from the punditry people is so... It's very funny to me, but people basically, like, critiquing Trudeau and being like, I've never seen someone throw someone under a bus in front of a literal bus, like, that kind of stuff. <laughs> also just adds a whole level of, like, oh, this is going this has legs and it will you know keep going for a little while because it's just breeding a lot of good content yes mm-hmm. well indians are the best satirists <laughs> on social media so mm-hmm. that will continue to be entertaining of course but mm-hmm. we uh uh we'll see what happens and um mm-hmm. we, we know that jody wilson raybould has a lot of support and a lot of uh mm-hmm. uh power mm-hmm. at her disposal so so yeah. um It'll be interesting to see how many men she takes down along this. Uh, All of them. All of them. <laughs> Take Perry Belgard down with you, please. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Well, we'll leave it there for today because we're almost at our destination. Kimmy, wasn't that bad today? It was way better than yesterday. Yesterday was a holy terror. It was yeah, the two worst. And two and a half hours. Yeah. Red Road. That's mm-hmm. bad. Too much yeah. red road in one day. That's. I just feel like you're saying that's too much me for one day. That's what it is. It's. Uh, I'm yeah. trying. To, I'm trying to talk about you know the red road. Like, which red road am I talking about? Like too much, too much resurgence in one day. You know, I can only handle two and a half hours. Oh Five man. Five hours. Like I'm totally yeah. like we're nativer than everybody. Yeah. We're not supposed to use that anymore. It's problematic again. Okay. I've been using it as a hashtag though on all of our posts. All right. Is Jody Wilson-Raybould nativer than you? No. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to the Red Road Podcast created by Courtney Sky and Hayden King. Sound and audio editing by Humble Man Recording. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, Google Play, SoundCloud, and iTunes. I've been driving in my Indian car Pound